All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Playing to Win podcast series. I'm joined today with a very interesting guest. I'm, I'm, I'm actually super stoked to talk to you, Dwayne, because uh, I've mentioned a few times on my channel um, my interest in about eight to 10 years down the road, just packing up most of my life and living on a yacht down in the Caribbean or somewhere nice. I mean, the Mediterranean sounds nice to me. You're in the Mediterranean right now. Um, we met through, uh, Instagram. So, you know, lo and behold, these social media platforms can be great for stuff like this. And you've messaged me and you said, uh, Hey, Rich, love your talks. Good stuff. Don't know if you're interested, but I'm a survivor of the California divorce process at 53 walked out with zero just before was a thriving multimillionaire. I rebuilt over five years and then sold out, bought a one-way ticket to Turkey and bought a beautiful sailboat, which I've been touring the EU on for the last three years, learned so much. And then you offered to have a conversation. So here we are today. Dwayne, welcome, man. How you doing? Wow, Rich. Thanks. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, having me on your show because I, I see your, a lot of your videos and I've gleaned so much from uh, how you approach the whole, uh, the new attitude of being male and, um, and also just surviving in this crazy world. And um, so thank you. And yeah. um, let me let me get you to kind of like frame the frame the backstory because I've had the opportunity to listen to a few of the podcasts that you linked for me, which sounded basically like your audio recordings telling a story, almost like a journal. Uh, I've watched yeah. a few of the videos on your YouTube channel. It's a small channel, um, but nonetheless, you know, I wanted to see you know what what you're all about, and I always want to you know check out potential guests to make sure that they're legit. Um, so, can you give the guys a background on what? I mean, lead up to what got you to the sailboat in the Mediterranean right now, because you were quite successful. You lived in California in a nice area of, yeah. you know, town sort of thing, had a well, family, a wife. What yeah. all happened? I, well, okay. I, I, I had a very definite plan growing up and I, I was raised in a very strong family in Southern California builders and, and, um, and I learned these trades very young from the time I was 12, I was 15. I built my first house, of course, with a lot of supervision of my dad and my uncles. It was very family oriented. It, and, um, and then I went, to, uh, I went to college and, and it, it, way back then I had an interest in surfing and sailing. I just was maniacal over water. And so I, that's what I got through high school is doing fun stuff like that. And then I, uh, when I got out of college as engineer in my uh, mid twenties, I traveled to Asia. I had a job for a bit in Indonesia as an engineer. And then I traveled around Australia and I got to cruise for a little while. I jumped on other people's boats. Yeah, and, I, yeah I heard that part where you basically were, were, were pacing like the yeah. marina and just looking for somebody that was looking for crew. How yeah. old were you at that time? I was 25, 20, and, 24, 25, 26. I was gone for three years. And you would just randomly like chat at people with sailboats oh, and absolutely. say, Hey, you know, I'm in the area, you know, do you need crew? Yeah. And that was, that was par for the course back then. And now it's so different because there's all kinds of websites that you could connect, you know, crewing, uh, and, and boats connect. So it's called oh, crew right? Bay and there's find a crew. Oh yeah. There's a lot of them. I use them all the time. I'm going to move just a little bit because I'm shifting around. So sorry about that. And so, so if you're on a passage where you need crew, you can actually go to a website and say, Hey, look, yo, I've oh, got yeah. room for two guys. I'm traveling from here to here. And then you can basically source them out that way. Yeah. In fact, it's too bad this thing's not more live. I know it's probably 
people are going to be seeing this a little bit after, but like tomorrow, Well, I'm actually going to have this as a premiere, so I'll be in the live chat when people are watching this, being able to answer the questions. I'll give you the time and date in case you're available and you're not in a passage so that maybe you can join in Okay, too. well, like tomorrow, today is whatever, the 15th, 14th? Well, 14th uh, December. of December, yeah. And tomorrow, I hope I get a couple, waiting on a couple more repair items for the boat, but as soon as I get those, I've taken off for the Canaries. It's about a 10-day, eh, seven mm -hmm. to 10-day passage. And I don't have any crew at the moment. Okay. And I, so I put an ad on Crew Bay is the one I use. And it's free for other people to sign up. Or you can pay five bucks a month or something and get the premium version. It's real, It's very cheap. And it's very valuable. I mean, it's, it's a great platform. And I got a lot of crew from that. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, Sorry, anyway. I just want to take you back to the Australia thing so, when you're in your 20s. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically I'm 24 and I'm, I'm walking up down uh, pontoons and I get on boats and I ended up on one guy's boat and we cruised uh, the, and I, the uh, Great Barrier Reef. And mm -hmm. I'd met this girl in a, um, in a uh, hostel. Ingrid and we I asked her hey you want to hitchhike with me up the coast to do this she's like yeah let's go so we go and we ended up on this boat for months some guy Serge Sokolowski was his name from uh, Russian defector mm. and he had a trimaran we pay him 10 bucks a day or something plus food and uh, just float around and I'd skin dive and I was like I said sir yeah how long can you do this and he said long as you want I said, what's the cost he goes, it's nothing Mm. Like you just own the boat and you can anchor it. He goes, yeah, like you can do this all over the world. It's amazing. Now you go into, I go into marinas a lot, like maybe four days a month, five days a month, just for repairs, for waters. I, I do have a water maker, but it takes a lot of energy to make water. So if I can get it from there, but like starting next week, I'm going to be anchored for months off of an island in the eastern Atlantic, and I just surf a couple times a day. Mm -hmm. And there's no services there, because there's nothing. It's just a big volcano, rocky island, and there's breaks all around it. And so I'll be making water when I'm there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's, uh, 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 so back to 24, I decide, wow, this is an amazing lifestyle. And I realized it wasn't easy to make money in this business. It's like, you know, you, I was a builder. I was an engineer and I was getting, figured I was going to be a contractor. And I came back and I said, okay. You ended up building custom homes, was it? I did, yeah. yeah. And I, so I made a very cognizant decision after roaming the planet for three years. And I did all kinds of odd jobs when I was traveling, you know, 24, 25, 26. And I was a waiter. I was a busboy i was rode a bicycle and delivered mail as a courier i poured concrete for people whatever just to make enough money to get by but then i wanted to come back and get some real money so i came back to southern california and i got my contractor's license and i just got down and i started uh borrowing uh, using other people's money to buy properties and and then i would build on them and i put the package together and i was some i would keep and some i'd sell and i got married when i was about 30 and I married this woman who was an architect, and and she we were a pretty dynamic team together. But she, she was about a, the same age as you. Yeah, she was a year younger than me, and she was. But I didn't realize at the time because I went to San Francisco. This was right after most of your listeners probably wouldn't know this, but right after there was a event called the Oakland Hills Firestorm, 
happened in 1991, uh, October 1991, and 3,000 houses burned down in one day in the Oakland Hills. It's just across the bridge from San Francisco. And I was living in Southern California at the time, and a friend of mine said, hey, did you hear about this? And now at, at the time, there was a huge uh, recession occurring in, well, all over the country. And I had built another spec house. I couldn't sell it. It was sitting there empty, and all my cash was stuck in that. And I was like, I'm going to go check this out. So I bought a ticket on Southwest Airlines. I went up, and, and uh, a friend of mine said, oh, you know, my, my sister-in-law just got uh, her architecture degree up there, and she lives right by. I'll have her pick, her, have her pick you up at the airport. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, great. So she did. We drove around. And that within some amount of time, we got married and she was my partner and we built a lot of houses. And that was an amazing time because there was all these empty lots and we were killing it. I mean, we just, we bought and sold, uh, I'm just having to hide from the sun, just piercing in my eyes. No, you're good, man. Just, just move to wherever okay. you need to on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> if you need to go inside, then just go inside if the light's too, too bright or throw on okay. some shades. Okay, uh, so um, that when I met her, I said, "Look, I'm a sailor and a surfer, and I'm gonna get down, and we are gonna make some serious dough." And in after we make this chunk of money, I want to go sail the Earth, mm-hmm. sail the planet. And she was like, oh, that sounds so exciting. That's so amazing. And, you know, when you don't have kids, um, you know, like you say, the, the women's perception of world and everything, it just changes radically. So by the time I was 40, I had made a lot of money. I think I, I, was, I was a multi, multi-millionaire. And so this was like 10 years later. And we had done a lot of houses, very successful. We had a great reputation. And I was like, look, we had three kids. They were young at that time. They were like I don't know, four, six, and eight. I said, let's go. And she's like, no, I don't want to go anymore. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was, there was a lot of discussion about it, but she just changed her mind. Mm-hmm. And so why did she say no when she previously said yes before? Because I always have to remind guys like women always reserve the right to change their mind at any given time. <laughs> this is a she, this is a classic example of it. She right? was just comfortable <laughs> because we were I, I was a victim of my own success. Yeah, I really was. I was a victim of my own success. I lived in a beautiful house. I had a second house in the mountains. I, we had a, a ski house. Right. Mm-hmm. I had my own airplane. I had a Beechcraft Baron. I would mm-hmm. fly the family around in the plane my kids uh we had a, a, a beach house down mm-hmm. in san clemente near my parents i didn't share with the family but still it was right on the water we had yeah, this so amazing like you guys lifestyle. were the envy of 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 like your social network right that's right you, you know beautiful family multiple residences lots of money yes. a plane yes. yeah yes yeah 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 i was i was killing it and i worked my ass off i i would venture to say i would work 16 hours a day and i would uh you know, I would have to say also that um, as far as a exercise regimen and keeping fit, 
even though I kept all these jobs going, I would work every day on the jobs. I would make sure I would pick up a couple two by twelves and run up and down the hills. I was actually doing work at the time, but mm-hmm. and I'd run up and down stairs on these hillside lots, and it kept me very, very, very fit. The payoff of that today, I'm fifty nine. Generally, people guess me to be about forty five. Mm-hmm. It happened today with some guy, another sailor. He's like, I can't believe you're fifty nine, but over the years keeping your weight i'm i'm the same weight and size almost as when i was 21 or 18 mm-hmm. and um so i was here listening to you talk about all your fitness and that, that is so i never went yeah. to a gym huge payoff anyway i uh she changed her mind because she was comfortable mm-hmm. and she didn't want to travel and uh she wanted to go for a couple of weeks, you know, or maybe a weekend or maybe even a month, but she didn't want to like stop and actually tour the world, live with the locals, live as you would. I, my idea was to take the kids and, okay, we're going to go to Italy. Mm-hmm. We're spending a semester in Italy. They're just going to go in to get in Italian schools. And it sounds like you had everything but the boat at that time. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I knew how much work boats were, and I didn't really have the time to take care of one because I was in this work mode. Mm-hmm. And then we started looking at boats, and then she went down, looked at me with them a little bit with me, and then she said, nah, not into it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay. Now, at the time, I was living in Oakland. If you know anything about Oakland, it's a pretty rough place to live. <laughs> And, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a shithole. <laughs> I, and, and I have the, in my, in my career between growing up in LA and growing up in Oakland, I've had a gun pulled in my head three times. Mm-hmm. Just random shit, you know, guys, thugs walking down the street, they'll stop and pull out a piece and I run. Mm-hmm. I see it come in and I floor it and get out of there and mm-hmm. got to know how to run. And I did that in LA as being a gopher for my dad's company. Mm-hmm. You make the wrong turn down some alleyways and, trying to take a shortcut in the afternoon through East LA and you know, you're fodder for them. Mm-hmm. So I know the routine. I wanted to get the hell out of there. It's like, okay, okay enough. I don't want to have to die just to, in, in, for this. How old were the kids when you had to untie the knot? Oh, they were 14, 16 and 18. Okay. So they were almost adults then. Yeah. yeah so what happened yeah. when you had to go through that process with family law in the state of California? So we'd had this business together for uh, basically 20 years. And uh, I had also made a second company that was manufacturing. You guys could look it up if you want. It's called Vitruvian Built. It's on, there's a YouTube, there's a bunch of YouTubes about it. I got, there's a guy, uh, John Stanier made a documentary. If if you look him up, he's uh, made like, I think he made Rocky. He was the, the uh, camera and producer guy, Hollywood dude, but he happened to be my neighbor at the time and he watched what I was making. He said, Hey, can I make a documentary about you on this? I just think it's interesting. So he did. So the result of that is on YouTube. And I made a machine that automated the production of houses in a net zero fashion. Almost no way. Like a, like 3d house uh, printed houses where it prints the the house from the bottom. But it didn't, well, it's what we did is we took large chunks of foam and we cut them up and then mm-hmm. we machined them and milled them. But the software we made 
would image you could, anything you could draw in 3D in AutoCAD. It would mm-hmm. read it and then make a G code to cut it out. Okay. And then we wrote algorithms in order to optimize how to use all the materials. And so we wasted very little. And it was a very cheap and efficient way to build really straight, square, efficient houses because your walls are eight-inch solid foam. And then you add cement or drywall on the outside to that. It looks like a regular house. So that's where you'd get those Spanish-looking houses in California, right? Well, I mean, any house. I, you could do modern. You could do uh, um, you could do gingerbread. You could do Spanish. Okay. You could any 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 house or any building that had walls or roofs. I could build. How much were both these businesses doing, by the way? Like, if you don't mind, like like what was your net worth approximately when you went into the divorce versus after? Well, at my peak. I think my net worth, that was about 19, uh, or maybe about 2,000, one or two. I was probably worth 10 million. Mm-hmm. And then uh, by the end of it, I was probably worth, we were, we were just suffering the, uh, uh, the wrath of 2008. And everything declined a lot because I had most of my assets in uh, real estate. I think I owned about 37 properties, but the net of that, I would get a pretty good income every year, but the gross value is about six million okay. because it went down. Yeah. But I'd start, I stopped working so much. I kind of semi-retired after I was 42. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I built this, this uh, house manufacturing system. And, um, and so I, uh, um, the manufacturing process never really made any money because I didn't charge. I mean, I, it, it, we, we only did it. It took me, I guess I worked on it about three years and to go through the beta testing is gets a lot of failures. I had to build it, rebuild it three or four times this machine. And I had to get approvals all over California. I had to go through destructive testing. I had to get, uh, you know, UBC codes and, and, but I built 40 structures with it. So mm-hmm. I built a couple hundred thousand square feet of walls and roofs. Um, and it was uh, now this was 10 years ago. So money today, if I if I would have kept it all together, I sometimes do the math. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It might be worth 30 million today okay. if I would have gone up on the trajectory. So I've done OK. And I was very happy. I was more than happy. And then one day, uh, my ex-wife, who had I realized she'd been planning this for about three years. How did you know she um, was planning for three years? Because she was in charge of the books. Ah, so the books. <laughs> that's, where the, that's where the truth came out, eh? Yeah. So she was very clever. And we had debt, of course, to mm. other people. You know, when you have, uh, I had bank loans and then I had private loans from other investors. All of that happened to be in my name or theoretically it wasn't, you know, we didn't have to pay it back because it wasn't properly recorded against properties. Now they trusted us. Mm-hmm. And I trusted my ex-wife. Mm. That was my mistake. And I even, you know, threw myself to the judge. I said, hey, this isn't look fair. He goes, fair? <laughs> Dude, you, you know, what is fair? There is no fair. And, you know, you should have been more careful. You shouldn't have trusted her. I was like, okay. So a, so a family judge said, don't trust your wife. Yeah, basically. Mm. Yeah. Totally, totally like, like counterintuitive to what you've been told your entire life, right? It's just, you know, put your trust in your partner. Yeah. And here's the other thing is when, when I went to the court 
I, I, I really haven't spent any time in courts. I mean, I've been in a few lawsuits over the years, over disputes, over properties and little things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just being in the course of business. But you barely, you know, it's not like you're in front of a jury. It's not like Perry Mason where there's a jury and everything. It's, that's just business law. Well, when I went to uh, divorce law, into the divorce court, there's one guy. Just the judge. Mm-hmm. That's it. And he makes he all makes, the calls. He makes all the calls. He can do whatever he wants. And my mm-hmm. ex-wife was a pro. She wore a cute dress right up over her knee and some shoes that would, you know, she was talking to the judge. The guy was like 65, good-looking guy. You could see he was a coxman in his day. And, you know, he's like, he's retired from being a lawyer, and they put him on the stand. Mm-hmm. And in my town, in San Luis Obispo, there was three judges. Three. That's it. Mm-hmm. So you really can't change, you know. There's no, there's no latitude. There's nowhere else to go. You just get what you get. Mm-hmm. And when she would go to walk up on the stand, she would stand up. He would almost come out of his chair like, oh, sit down. You know, like point at the chair like he was pulling so up the chair for is basically what you're saying. He was simping hard. He was simping for your, for your wife. Oh, yeah. He liked her. And she was like working it, man, you know, dressed. Because I looked at her. I said, mm-hmm. I didn't say it, but I just saw her. I go, you never dress like that. Mm-hmm. It's like she sexy conservative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so she'd been coached. And I was like, oh, my God. I am such a city duck here. Mm-hmm. And when I came up, he just kind of laid back. like, yeah, whatever. Let's hear your mm-hmm. side of the story. Bud. And she asked from the first day for full control. Now, before that, when she first she sprung it on me one morning, just said, oh, I want a divorce. And I remember it was November 7th, 2012. And I was, it was the morning laying in bed. And she gave me a big old elbow. And I was like, what's that about? I want a divorce. And I was like, What? What are you talking about? I mean, it's totally surprising. We had three kids in the house, this beautiful estate down in San Luis Obispo. We had moved the whole family down there eight years before and I built out a beautiful gentleman's ranch. Had a vineyard and fruit trees and I built a sports field for my kid and he liked to play baseball. Why do you think she pulled the trigger on on that particular date on November the seventh? Like was it was it like <laughs> you know, she had cooked the books long enough? You know, we had an argument. Up, or? We had an argument a few days before. Okay. And it was about the uh, the election, and I and, and Obama had won again, and I was angry because what he had done to me, who just happened to be in my case, guys like me, he had given a lot of money to banks, and the banks bought the local banks, and then the local banks had to were now owned by outsider banks, and they started foreclosing processes and all kinds of properties. Mm-hmm. And they tried to foreclose on me. They just, they did illegal stuff. I won't get too into it, but they were mm-hmm. bastards. I actually took one of them to court and I won. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was another court case I had, but uh, didn't lose anything to foreclosure because I'd kept up my bills. But they tried to trick me into a lot of nasty stuff. These were big boys from New York and they bought the little local bank in San Luis Obispo. And I said, how come we're in the situation where our government is taking our money and printing it and giving it to the big, big banks and coming in and just stealing from us. I don't want to vote for this guy again. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't even care about that. She goes, all I care about is that the liberal agenda is that my daughters will be free to have an abortion if they want. Wow. 
So, okay, so let me just frame this, right? You know, because of what I'm hearing. So I'm just going to say this, you know. So if I understand you correctly, Dwayne, your wife was more interested in her daughters being able to have abortions than protecting the family wealth. That's right. Right. That's the government, right. you know, the 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 uh, bureaucratic uh, policymakers that, you know, set up yep. these new, you know, laws and stuff that are basically stealing wealth from your business and making it hard, hard for you to run your business. She mm -hmm. gets mad at you because you wanted the other guy and she got the guy that protects abortion rights. Yeah, I think Dole was running against him at the time. Sorry about and, that. Just, just, just needed to clarify. But carry on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because a lot of these guys I'm watching. He was watching this. Probably won't get the, the, the timing of all this. Uh, but yeah, that happened. That okay. can happen. I remember sitting there like, and then so we got this argument like the day after, and she said, I remember walking out. She was have a nice day going to work, honey, and I was like, have a nice day. Mm -hmm. I go, did you realize this? Is what happened? Mm -hmm. Like, this is insanity. Like, I got to put up with this crap for four more years. Like, we just, we were this close to getting our house foreclosed off. Mm -hmm. And I'm just killing myself. I, I had actually took jobs out of town so everybody could keep eating and I wouldn't mm -hmm. lose my main house and my, you know, some other jobs. And I had a lot of jobs going. At the time, I had like three, I was building a nine-unit apartment complex and in the commercial building and a custom home and some other little things and you know just business as usual and I, I was using my building system and then being a contractor and I was running around I owned a fleet of tractors I had an excavator and a backhoe and a bulldozer and all the big contractor toys and um yeah and it just making ends meet keep and you know kids were in private schools and mm -hmm. She said, yeah, but I don't care. And I was like, wow. And I Looks heard like that. that eh? And I and I turned around. I, 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 I got mad at her. I yelled. I never hit her, hit her. Never got even close, you know, three or four feet away. Nobody mm -hmm. else around to hear us. Mm -hmm. But I, I got pissed off. I yelled. And then two days later, she said, I want a divorce. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay. Oh, what do you want to back for that? So, so what was the outcome of the divorce when the dust settled, right? Like when the process was done, like what were you left with? What was she left with? How were you treated? How was she treated? Okay. So during the, so after like this happens in November, so I begged her for six weeks because mm -hmm. we were together for Thanksgiving and Christmas and she was faking it the whole time, not to let the kids know that we were getting a divorce. You know, nobody knew. Mm -hmm. We were sleeping in the same bed, but I was negotiating with her the whole time. I was like, oh, let's, you know, let's go to counseling. Let's do something else. Because neither one of us were cheating. We didn't have mm -hmm. any uh, significant others. And I had no idea the depth that she had already studied this out. And yeah, I always she, tell guys, like, women plan this out well in advance. I mean, three years. You know, you might be hearing this right now and thinking, guys, wow, three years. That's, you know, it's pretty. It's, it's not that uncommon. Mm -hmm. And um, thanks for saying that, uh, Rich. It, it's uh, keeping that that perspective. So I for up until around Christmas, and I remember just I couldn't even sleep. I couldn't figure out a way to any a way to bring any new business in because then all the numbers start going through my head. It's like I'm a small family construction business. If I I know I I talked to my accountant right away and I said, Hey, if I go to half, 
do I have the leverage to go borrow like I used to? He said, no. I said, so that means it's going to severely limit the size and the amount of jobs I can get. He goes, yeah, that's right. Not only are you being set back the money you have, but you're being set back the money you could possibly make. And I'm sweating in bed and I'm, I'm going, well, how do I bring in new business right now? I'm assuming knowing, she didn't care about that though, right? Oh, no. Yeah. And, and in fact, she just, uh, at one point, we had one empty lot left back up in Oakland. Now, we lived in San Luis Obispo. People don't know where those are geographically. It's about a four-hour car drive. And Oakland's in the middle of the city, San Francisco. And San Luis Obispo is this beautiful, bucolic coastal town. It's like Oprah Winfrey one day said it's the best place to live in the world, or happiest place in the world to live. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just gorgeous, you know, rolling hills. It looks like something out of fairy tale. And I, um, I was having to go back and forth between these two places to, to keep up enough income because it was after the 2008 recession, just barely keeping ends meet, keeping ends together. And, and then so this was like, yeah, three, four years later after that economy was just starting to sputter back up. And I negotiated with her for about two months. And then one day I said, hey, you realize if you take all these properties, I'm not going to be able to make a living like I used to. So we should just split the assets and I put together a package that I thought was fair, where actually she ended up with about 60%. I ended up with 40%. She would end up with the income properties, and I'd end up with the properties that maybe had a little more equity, that the potential to make more. And we call it even. Mm -hmm. and she was like, oh, no, 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 no. You owe me. I said, but you've been my partner all these years. She goes, no, I don't. I, here's, and here's a big thing. Even though she would work with me and advise me, and which was true, she wasn't on the payroll. She would claim housewife on our taxes. Mm. Okay? That was a big deal. She wasn't architect. And we would hire other architects to sign the... So it was theoretically true. Now, she was huge in... in you know, we would, we would look at a piece of property. Hey, you think we should buy that lot? Yeah, I think so. Okay, then what are we going to put on it? So I think you should put nine apartments on it. Oh, okay. And Why didn't you put her on payroll, though, for tax savings reasons to lower your tax brackets? No, it's, it's the other way around. You get a bigger write-off on a, on a housewife. Oh, uh, okay. In California. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, so uh, state oh, laws oh, part of it is Yeah, but part of it uh, is that then I think, I think it's, uh, she's not, you know, she did for the first while, but then for the last, the pre, then for the next eight, the, the previous eight years, housewife. In the mm. first 10 years, she was on payroll. And you guys were married for more than 10 years, right? Oh, tw yeah, 20. Uh, okay. We were together 22. I call it 22 because from the time I met her, which was just boom, all the way through. What's the law in, in California? I think it's after 10 years, you're, 10. you're on the hook you're, for alimony? You're on forever. Forever, yeah. Forever. So she said at that moment, she goes, no, you owe me. And I was like, I owe you? Yeah, she well, was in, we've been she sleeping was in a bargaining in the same... position on this one. Oh, eh? yeah we've been sleeping in the same bed for all this time we've been we've been you know we go to the same we do everything together we're in the same room we're in the same house we don't 
how could I, one person owe another? We've had the same experience. You now let's take the assets and split them and move forward. Mm-hmm. I said, you, you're a smart lady. You know, you're a hardcore feminist, you know? And I said, strong independent woman, right? Yeah, strong, independent woman, man. I don't need no man, but I need his money. Baby, so true. And I was, and she said, well, look, if it's going to be a problem, it may be a, you may have a hard time getting to know your kids. Wow. I was like, oh, fuck. You have to bleep that out. I'm sorry. But, but I was floored. And I had been talking to other guys. I talked to some lawyers. I talked to, you know, people by that time, and they were very clear. They said, "Look, if those kind of threats start coming up, she's got way bigger plans, and don't get caught. You're gonna, you're gonna. She wants you in jail." Mm-hmm. And she knew my buttons to push. You know, I had a. I'd never, I'd never been arrested. I don't have any tickets. I'd never been in jail. I'd never been in, uh, you know, I barely even had a speeding ticket. Um, but I had, you know, I would, I, I'd get mad. I, and when I was a kid, you know, you talk about fighting and stuff. When we were in high school, I'd fight. Mm-hmm. But I'd never hit anybody after that. But she had this, I realized then, she had this dialogue that somehow I was scary. Later, it would come up in depositions. She kept claiming I, she was scared and I was scary. Did this lead and, up to a false DV? Yeah. Okay, so those of you that don't know what a false DV is, and I talk about it in my book in the chapter on why smart men don't marry. Did you read my book, by the way? I did. Yeah. I just got done with it. Yeah, go ahead. Would you, would you uh, co-sign that chapter? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> So I, mean, I I was sitting there. I had to like stop the car and sit there and listen. You're just like, nodding your head, going, "Yeah, yeah. there it is." Uh, yeah, and so, I've heard it. I've studied enough about this. I've heard it in other places. Yeah. But you 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 portray it perfectly. So go for it, dude. You wrote it, man. So it. women use this as a trump card often. Um, terrible women. So let me just be clear on that, because it doesn't require any proof. And what they'll so. I'll tell you a story. So this one guy was telling me that, you know, he had come home from work. He's expecting to see his, you know, his family and his kids. And as he walks in the front door, um, his wife is basically on the phone with the police saying, we're really scared. You know, he's threatening to hurt us. He has guns and all this sort of stuff. And it's like 15 minutes later, two cruisers rip down the street. One of them parks on his front lawn, tearing up like shrubs and stuff. And the other one in the driveway, sirens going, and he basically gets hauled away in handcuffs. Um, they change the lock locks on the house and he doesn't have access to the house. His kids, when the house sells nothing because she claimed he was a bad, scary man. He was a boogeyman and bad things, you know, were happening. Um, they don't require any proof. It's just, the allegation is plenty in most places in the world. Um, Dwayne went through that. So what happened with the false DV charge? Like, what did she okay. do? So here's how it went down. I realized when she said that, that I was like, no, wait a minute. Those are not her normal words. Cause I've been living with this person for 22 years. So I'm very aware of when she's saying something threatening. Cause I've mm-hmm. seen her deal with a lot of people. She, she handled a lot of our legal work or at least set the strategy for our, if we had issues or whatever, you know, but with, as you do in business, just in business. 
and very crafty, very clever. And by the way, she came from a family, very broken family, where her father destroyed her mother in divorce in the late 70s in California. So her mother went from being the happy housewife, like leave it to beaver, to having to become an oncology nurse, changing bedpans in the middle of the night over a two-year period. And she was 17 at the time. Mm-hmm. When this happened, her dad was the uh, CEO of a Fortune 500 company known as Western Microwave. And they make bombs for the military. So now consider a man's you know, state of mind, a guy who last year your bomb killed 400 people at a whack. Got to do better this year. You got to kill 500. Mm-hmm. So this... Uh, to, to, to continue to keep him peeking at this, he would read books. His, his standard fare that he would talk about was The Art of War. And his daughters, he had three daughters. I married one of them. This is what they would talk around, about around the coffee table. And I didn't know anything about this. I was a deer in woods, man. I, I grew up just being a simple damn builder guy, and I wanted to surf and sail and have a good time. Yeah, you're a surfing hippie, right? <laughs> yeah, I was. And oh, when you see my video, if you look at my video on Vitruvian built, you're going to see a guy who looks nothing like me now. Mm. I even look older then. Uh, mm. We're going to get to hopefully get to that. Okay. So, all right. So, she, when she started talking about this, about me not seeing the kids, I was like, this is a huge red flag. Mm. Now, I have, it's been three months now. I have, you didn't know why at the time, but like the spidey senses were tingling, like, hang on, what's coming down the pipes here. And I said, hang on a second. The kids weren't home. I walked in the house. I packed a bag. I came back out. I got in the car and I left. Okay. We, uh, and, and, and I, and a month before I'd even asked her, because as soon as, as soon as she'd, told me about this divorce thing weird mail starts showing up i mean like within the next couple days she started signing up for like singles not singles dating stuff but things that that women who are single would get in the mail like you know special bank accounts and Mm -hmm. you know plus tax strategy planning and and uh, these things that we would never look at if we were a married couple and i started noticing this mail i said wait a minute, you had to plan this for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, this didn't just happen yesterday. You got to hit the road running, right? I mean, there's only yeah, so much yeah. sand left in the hourglass. You know, she's only got to look for so long. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, and then as soon as, even during the divorce process, man, she went out, she got full work over from forehead to, to pussy. Just the whole thing worked over. I saw her later in court. Her face a little bit deformed. She landed herself a wealthy guy now. It's another story, but, but she worked it hard. Yeah, it spent some money there. And she's a good-looking lady, too. She always was. And she never lost it, really. So, But I, at one point, I was like, I said, we, we haven't touched each other in months. I go, what are we doing? I go, are we dating others? I mean, do you, you go out all the time, and I'm separate. She goes, I don't care what you do. I said, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, I don't give a shit. Said, We're done. We're now, we just have to exercise this out as efficiently as we can to retain as much of the wealth as we can and not fuck this up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't start dating, but I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh, okay. So we're done. This, we can date others. And um, so I left and there was a woman who I knew and I called her up, asked her for a ride. 
from where I flew to in the airport. I really just wanted to get away. And she picked me up and I'd never touched her before. And I asked her, I said, can we hang out? Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's a single woman. She's like, yeah, for sure. So we started hanging out. We had a good time. And, and she knew I was just coming out of this divorce. And, and, and uh, well, my ex ended up having a guy follow us, take pictures. Mm-hmm. And she gave that to my kids later. Mm, Even nice after, lady. nice, yeah, to juice so, them up yeah. a little more, yeah. So anyway, that happened. But so what happened after, with the DV charge? Okay, so DV. So okay, so yeah. I'm out of the house. She puts a big pile of shit in a. Uh, she puts it in my hanger, my airplane hanger. She mm. she purges everything out of the house that she thinks is mine, which is just my clothes, some skis, some sports gear, and she dumps it in the hanger. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at all the stuff. And I'm like, okay. And there was a pair of my daughter's skis in there. So one day I drove by the house. I was going to put the skis, not even on the property, but at the front uh, mailbox. Well, she happened to be out there. And I live on this big estate, 10 acres out in the country. Mm-hmm. The kids were kind of up the driveway. And I said, here, I ended up with these. These are Madison, mm-hmm. she says. Maddie was 18 by this time. We're just turning 18. And she says, you're not, you know, get the hell out of here. I don't want to see you. And yelling at me. And I yelled at her back and just had words. Mm-hmm. I never, I didn't even step on the property. I was mm-hmm. on the street. And I got in the car and I was huffed in a huff and I was pissed off and I drove away. She went to the judge the next day and said, he came at me and I was scared to death. And boom, restraining order. Mm. Now I can't be near my kids. I can't be near the house. I can't now. And then, and then was finally, we got to the first day of a hearing. Okay. So now, now she wants to ask for a decisional hearing by the judge. I don't know what you call it exactly, but so we end up in front of the judge and I have a lawyer by this time. And she walks in and makes, takes, spends about three hours on the stand telling the judge why she should have 100% management control of the company that we've had together for 22 years. And I was just sitting there, like, shell-shocked. I was listening to her. Did you ever tell- think for a minute that, that he would give it to her? Or were you like, ah, oh, this isn't going to happen. Just let her, you know, No fucking way. Yeah. No way. I kept looking at my lawyer like, what? Now, it came to half that. And she threw all kinds of allegations out at me. And she even said, oh, by the way, if I get control of this company... I have every qualification to run it. I am, you know, I have a degree in architecture and I've been his partner for 22 years. And I, I, you know, I used to be pound nails and I know how to order the concrete of the truck. And blah, blah, by the blah. way, yeah. uh, I have three guys who have agreed to put their license up if he leaves. And he, she named them. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys, I mean, I knew of all three of them. Um, and one was a friend of her dad. Another guy was just some random dude. And another guy was a friend of like the family. And, um, and I just sat there and I was like, really? Those guys could do my job? I mean, I, I, by this time I'd even gotten a patent and I've gotten, I was start, I was lecturing on the college level about, um, building technology. I'm, I would consider it a building technologist. That's the name they, mm-hmm. they So I would talk to architecture students and, uh, engineering students and i would talk to uh green um, um 
you know, uh, you call, uh, what's the word in college? Um, but the greenies. And so, uh, I had, you know, I was, and I was like, really, this is all going to replace me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And then I went to lunch. They broke for lunch and I called my accountant and I can, he had just been through a gnarly divorce that took him four years and he had finished his, and he was my partner for 25 years because mm-hmm. we owned a lot of um, income properties together. We had, I, I, another part of what I did is I had uh, put together syndications and raised money and we uh, bought apartment buildings all over California. It was very successful. We did really well with that. And so my accountant was my partner in that. And I told him, hey, this is what's going on. He goes, oh, don't worry. This is just D-Day. It's going to get better from here. And, and um, I said, well, do I even want this company? And he was like, well, just go in there and give it your best shot. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I go back. <laughs> yeah. And so I go back. And the, I said, look, Your Honor. So you march back know. in the slaughterhouse. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, and my and my lawyer actually looked at me and said the same thing. He goes, because, you know, I don't really know you that well because we're just starting this process. Like I maybe known him a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and he'd seen my numbers. I thought it was just going to be a matter of just like saying, OK, here's the here's the assets. Mm-hmm. Who gets what? And let's go from there. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought it was going to be. Uh-uh. <laughs> she turns it into. She wants full management control. And I was like, well, how is that going to work? And so I told the judge, I said, look, your honor, I don't understand how this can even be a thing because we've been partners for 22 years and we've made every decision together. And now we're going to be at odds with each other. And one guy's going to tell the other guy what to do. Mm-hmm. I go, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. So, so he hands you know, over control. Within two days, he writes a letter, says she's got all control. So then so, first thing... She, so she's got the kids. She's got yep. the assets. She's got the house, which you've moved out of. Now she's got the business. Yep. And so now I was in the middle of building out a handful of projects, which I really wanted to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Uh, actually, one of the houses was for a guy named Dr. Cherry. And he... What, and now, okay, I'm going to take you back 10 years. And this is kind of interesting, especially for a lot of guys with, uh, in America and California. Around the 10-year mark of marriage, she and I were arguing a lot mm-hmm. about where we should live. She wanted to stay in the city. She wanted to be the cool city girl. And I wanted to... Do you think that we that's were, a coincidence that at the 10-year mark where she knows that you're on the hook for lifelong alimony that she became a little more disagreeable? Oh, it's no question. She knew what she had. I knew what she had. I, okay. I'm, I'm no dummy. You know, I, I, I knew it was a stake, but, you know, we had a great life. We, even we were living in Oakland, we, you know, we're, we were, I, I wasn't super rich, but I did good, you know, and I'd wake up every morning and have jobs to do and very well respected. And we were helped build the little elementary school in our town and yeah, yeah, okay. all the good stuff, you know, and kids all running around all the time and, and, um, so, oh, I kind of lost my train of thought. We were, um, you were, you were talking about 10 years back with this guy that you had to build oh, a yeah, house yeah, okay. for. So, so because we're arguing, she wants to go see a shrink, mm-hmm. go 
couples counseling. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we go and turns in, she, she convinces them that I have the problem. And I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just, it's just like, see, I was right again, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I have the problem. I have the problem because I'm angry because yeah. I was like, look, we got 10 million bucks. How much more could we, you know, just, just put that in a freaking simple 6% thing or mm -hmm. even 10 or we don't have to put in anything. We own properties. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're spitting out cash and it's like, we can, we don't need to have a second and third house if we just have our one house and I'm there all the time. And I always was going to put my moniker of success to myself was that I get to see my house in the daytime mm -hmm. because I work from before sunrise to after sunset. Every morning I'd wake up at six. I'd, I'd be the first one down at the, at the lumber yard to make sure everybody's going to have enough materials to do what do. they need to do. Yeah. And then when I come home at night and once in a while we had a little fun i'd sneak home because i live very close to all my jobs you know get a little nookie in the afternoon that was fun mm -hmm. it was great you know and and uh and then we get to go um on three-day vacations to the mountain house and once in a while we take off a few weeks and go to things it was great you know it's like but but at 10 years i was like how much more do we need and let's do some different things. Let's go explore the world. I haven't, I haven't seen the rest of the world. I haven't seen Europe. And I want to do this when my kids are small. Mm -hmm. And that's when the resistance started. And I was like, what is going on? So she's, oh, we got to, you, you're not happy. You, we got to go see a shrink. So we went together. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, she was like, you know, I'm just frustrated trying to explain to this guy and to her why we should do this now. And I probably wasn't the best communicator, whatever. Mm -hmm. They convinced me I should go on Prozac. Because, oh, they put you on antidepressants, eh? Yeah, and I did not want them. I was like, I'm not depressed. Yeah. I'm pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I, did. I, I, just, I did. I just want to go on a sailboat from time to time, man. That's my medicine. I don't need these pills. Well, yeah, well, I wanted to park all the jobs we have and yeah. take the kids and, and introduce them to the world. No, got it, man. World. Yeah, totally. But, but yeah. instead you got put on like antidepressants, right? Because you're, you know, yeah. like, you know, imagine that you're married, you know, you've done the right thing your entire life. You've raised a family, you've built a business, you're loaded, you've got a plane, you've got multiple houses, you've got vacation houses. And it's like, you just want to sail a boat and, and you go to a therapist and the guy's like, here, take these pills and shut up. Dude, I wasn't even asking for life. I was yeah. asking for a year. Yeah. One year. I said, let's just, let's just go for a fucking yeah, okay. year and we'll find a boat somewhere. I don't, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I figure everything else out. I mean... My God, I've, I've, you know, I've done all this stuff. I've built houses on hillsides in the middle of winter. I'm starting to get some wind from your mic. I don't know if you can move closer to the cabin. Okay. So, um, so I have that. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Sit on my, sit on my toolbox is better. So I, um, I realized, okay, so. This is classic. Ten years more go, eight years more go by. Oh, we moved, by the way. Mm -hmm. After that, ten, that was part of the deal. I said, "All right, you want me to go on Prozac? I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I'll take your Prozac, but we're moving to Central California. Mm -hmm. That's the deal, because that'll be like a halfway, and I'm going to call it my boat. Mm -hmm. So I bought ten acres, one three three one Tiffany Ranch Road. Look mm -hmm. it up." And see how beautiful that property is. It's on 
you know, realtor.com or whatever. 1331 Tiffany Ranch. Yeah. And uh, just a gorgeous place. I've built so many beautiful places. From beginning to end, by the way, my, my, my production flow of my life over 30 years, on an average of every 120 days, so think where you were four months ago. What are we now? We're December 14th, so that'd be August, September, October, November, December. So from August 14th, where were you? Middle of summer, and now it's December 14th. August, September, October, November, December, yeah. In that time, every 120 days for 30 years, I would produce a property like that and put it on the market. Is that it there? That, yeah, you can see it from the sky. And if you go on like the realtor.com thing, you can see it. There's probably beautiful pictures of it all built out. Yeah, it's in a Oakland, ranch. It, uh, Tiffany Ranch Road in San Luis Obispo. Yeah. It's a ranch, yeah. It, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, it's, uh, but that's what I did. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I said, look, let's move down here because then I can call this. I she agreed this, to that. Yeah, she agreed. Yeah. So we went. So, I mean, and you're all spaced also, out on these antidepressants. <laughs> yeah. And they're kind of a joke because here's the thing, for me anyway, when I yeah. took Prozac, it, it slows you down. It slows you down. It makes you fat. It takes away your sexual desire. It does a lot of things to you. Yeah. And yeah. And, and actually, I was still having a, you know, we'd still, sex was fine. It, mm-hmm. it didn't really slow that down for me. Mm-hmm. But it definitely, like if a bomb went off behind me, boom. You need yeah, to turn yeah. around and go, what the fuck? Get me, you know, yeah, let's fight back. Less. You give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, why is this good? And <laughs> so I, I, uh, I was like, oh, whatever. And I tried to go off of them sometimes and it's horrible in your brain. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this guy, Dr. Cherry is a renowned, uh, shrink in the Bay area. And he actually runs, a place called the Thunder Road Clinic in um, Oakland. It's where a lot of wayward kids end up. And so he he uh, kind of sets policy on that. So he's, his name is, you know, he's a upstanding guy. And so, of course, we go to him. And um, all right, so we take the drugs and then we move away. I do want to talk about the, the boat, Dwayne, and I've got like okay. 25 minutes left because i got to oh, hop God. on another call, so I just wanted to make sure we have enough time to talk about the boat and the new okay, lifestyle, okay. too. So I'll get you there. So I end up, uh, eight years later, I get this phone call, and I get, hey, somebody I know needs to build a house up in Oakland, and I needed the work mm-hmm. because we're in the middle of the recession. And so I get these plans, and I bid them. I don't even know who it's for. It's this beautiful house. Uh, in Oakland or in uh, Orinda, modern. And the guy finally gets the bid and then he calls me and he says, Hey, I got your bid. It's amazing. It's like a million and a half bucks. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, and I start listening. I go, Hey, hey man, I recognize your voice. I go, wait a minute. This, your plan say Schwinn Cherry. I go, you're David Cherry. You're my old shrink. Oh. He goes, he goes, yeah. I was like, Oh, that's your wife's name, Schwinn. He goes, yeah. So we hyphenated Schwinn Cherry. I'm like, okay. And I said, well, wait a minute. Is this okay? I build your house. He goes, yeah. You know, you want. I mean, are you okay with it? I said, Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, whatever. So it's a good house, and I need the money, and so we let's do this. So we do. Yeah. Eighteen months goes by. 
one day I walk into his house and it's like 80% done and I just look like hell. And he goes, what's the matter? I said, I'm getting a divorce. He goes, oh, oh my God. Now the thing is when you build someone's home, you get to know them better than anybody else. Like better, better than their shrink would because mm-hmm. they, people confide things in you when you build their home that they wouldn't even confide. What'd you learn? Well, how he treats his wife, how he thought about marriage, how he perceives himself to his kids, his relationship to other people, because people present themselves that way through their homes, how they want their car to be seen in the driveway, mm-hmm. how they, um, and, you know, even pitting themselves against their spouse, like, wait, don't you think this fork knife would be better on this side than that side, even though his wife wants it on the other side? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're going to use me for your battles? Fight your own battles. Mm. Okay. It's quite the lesson. Yeah. So this happens a, all the time in custom homes. Was it a do as I say, not as I do sort of thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then I started looking at this guy going, you're the one who was counseling us? Yeah. Okay. That day I walked in, I said, what's up? I said, I'm getting a divorce. He's like, oh my God, that's horrible. I'm so sorry. You know, well, can you finish my house? I said, yeah, I'll get your house finished. So after I finished it, last day, he gives me my final payoff check. And and I said, hey, come here. I want to step off your property. Walk over and I said, all right, this is the property line, right? I go, I'm done with your house, right? Because yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. Everything's perfect. Okay. And I said, and, and you and I have no more business after this. Yeah. I said, all right. So hand me the money. So he gives it to me off the property. And I said, now, okay, I want to ask you something now that we're on, we're neutral men standing on neutral property. Do you think you did the right thing eight years ago prescribing me that mm-hmm. after you know me now? And he said, no. I said, thank you. So basically he had the wool pulls over his eyes because now he got to know me mano a mano building his house right mm-hmm. and how i managed stuff and sure i'd i'd yell at the drywall hanger some days like, what the fuck are you doing you know you're upside down ah. but he knew some people just don't respond any other way and then he saw the stresses of spending a couple million bucks you know it's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life probably the biggest asset you'll ever own and he got nervous too and many times i had to calm him down so so then he was like oh i got it he realized he'd been juked by the system. So anyway. uh, these guys know what they're doing. It's, you know, it's about, it's about their priorities. And I always tell guys to be very cautious when it comes to therapists, because like, like even today it's worse than what it was back when you were dealing with it. Cause now even the APA has guidelines basically telling therapists and counselors to treat men as if they're toxically masculine, right? That that it's always going to be you as the problem. So even really? back then, they still treated you as the problem. Well, okay. So here was the thing that I didn't realize then: that was a setup. Oh, because now she's got this thing that says, "Oh, he was on drugs." Oh, that's why she wanted you on the. Yeah, that's why she I jumped see. up and down that's and pointed the finger, in. and I was like, "Gotcha." That's well, what's going on. Well, let's switch gears and let's talk about today because, I mean, okay. that's that's everything that led you up to where you are right now. So now you're in your late 50s. Uh, I, believe I was you're 53. In... Uh, okay, and so I, I get out. I walk you're out. 50, you're 53 and you head out to Turkey to buy this no. bad boy over here? <laughs> I, yeah. No, I didn't leave until I was 56. Oh, 56. Okay. Because I got out of the the divorce the it ended up being a two-year 
uh, divorce of, of um, um, she sued me then for a fiduciary breach to not show up to work. That was the part I never got to. Oh, my God. Right. So then in two how, years of court. How, how long did this all go on for with the whole two divorce? Years. Like, two it was, years. It was two years to untie yeah. the knot. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. But, and I walked to zero. And but you walked out thing. of it with zero. So she got everything. She got the kids. She got the business. Mm-hmm. She got the houses. House. She got everything. Uh-huh. And you basically had to like walk away from all of it just to get everything. away from it all. Right. So the deal I cut is called a global settlement. And I said, all right. I can see the, the system. It could drag me back into court any day they want mm-hmm. and for just make something up. Well, I don't so think you had to terminate any access to that. So you did a global right. settlement. So right. you actually walked away with zero. Zero. You gave her everything. How did you, yeah. how did you make the money to, to buy the sailboat? Cause I mean like, okay. you know, something like so that. So I had a lot of debt. cost like 400 grand, right? That's right. Yeah. So I got, uh, I had, we had debt in the company. Mm-hmm about a million and a half bucks and all the investors wanted it back. Well, she had it worked out to where either I had to pay it back or I didn't have to pay it back at all. Mm-hmm. It leaked because it was four years old. I didn't have to. And I said, well, that's not right. And she just walked away from it. So I told the guys, I said, look, if you extend my lines of credit, I'm going to go make it back and I'm going to pay you back, but you got to let me make money at the same time. Okay. So you built a few more houses to raise the money. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So I did Let's, that. Um, so three, three, four years. And then I start looking and I, and I, I searched everywhere. I bought yeah. a boat in the meantime, lived on it in the, in San Francisco. I bought a Hunter 42, but that yeah. wasn't big enough and it wasn't strong enough. And then strong I, enough for blue water sailing is what you're well, saying. Well, like you can ocean. blue water sail it, but it okay. just, uh, it, I wanted something heavier. Okay. Because when you're sitting like right now at anchor, like I am, mm-hmm. those little swells come in and throws you around the difference a paradigm jump. Once you get to 50 feet, that's about as big as a single handed guy would want to handle. Okay. We have bow thrusters, which is a motor in the front to push mm-hmm. the nose back and forth when it gets windier and you're going in and out of docks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But if, if it's a small, you know, if it's like 45 feet, the weight of a 45 footer is maybe 12 times. The weight of my boat is 18 times. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge, cause you get, it doesn't just get longer. It gets wider and deeper. You know, mm-hmm. kind of grows at the cube. Right. And now you get over 18 tons and it gets really unmanageable. And for one, for one person, you have to have a crew. Okay. And I wanted the ability to single hand if I need to. Okay. So. And I mean, like, this is the boat. Uh, wait, hang on a second. Let me add it to this. So this is the boat here, right? Yep. I mean, that's not your boat, obviously, but that's yeah, it's a, a model it's of a Beneteau your boat. 50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, it's can you just sense. give us like a quick tour as you're oh yeah as you're talking about it because I've got yeah. like maybe can twenty I, minutes left so maybe just walk us do around. Do I want to do I want to turn the screen around or do I want to keep yeah yeah with, yeah you just turn me. the screen around and just you know kind of give can us I, a quick tour of it and I, I got some questions calm? for you about boating too because I'd be like okay a lot leave of this stuff, my calm how do I turn a mic calm uh, you should have like yeah. on your screen up or if you can't then just hold it up and sort of turn okay. it around the I, other just, way I'm not without losing it maybe okay so you might lose here's the uh, it's a d- dual wheel. Yeah. And uh, all of the instruments you could ever want. You could have. Uh, and it's got autopilot and oh all my the good God, stuff yeah. too. So yeah, autopilot, kick so, ass, like you autopilot. can sleep and it'll just kind of steer itself and avoid like uh, shipping lanes and everything. Well, well, you can, yeah, you could program it to go to sail any way you want. 
And okay. but we have a thing called AIS, which is pretty common in in um, boats now. It just basically it shows up on the screen where the boats are, mm. and it tells you where you know tells them where you are as well. Let me walk you up on the bow and show you around. So this that's the actual cathedral of uh, the Palma Cathedral. Isn't that a beautiful building? Mm-hmm. Amazing, right? Okay, another guy anchored here. That's uh, Mallorca, right? Yeah, this is Palma de Mallorca. Okay. Palma of Mallorca. So this is an extra bag is a Jenniker. It's got a single jib. It's a sloop design. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, 65 foot tall mast. What does the I have... cruise at in like, you know, decent winds? Like I notice a lot of sailing videos that I watch, like they're usually doing like six or seven knots. They seem That's to be correct, pretty happy. Yeah. 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 If I got it tooled up and the wind is perfect and it's a nice long reaches, like this summer, my son came and we sailed from uh, Rome to Sardinia together, just me and him and the dog. And we had the Jenniker up the whole day and we were averaged eight and a half knots. Mm-hmm. That was an amazing run. So generally, if you're getting six all the time, you're really happy. If you get eight all the time, you're really happy for mm. this size of a boat. Boats go at the square root of the length and feet. And and a boat like Euron, I mean, it's basically a house on the water. So it's exactly. like you see the racing boats where it comes up on a hydrofoil and it's like blasting across the waves doing like 70 knots sometimes. Not even close. Like this is not like really close. designed to comfortably plow through the ocean and well, because chilling. you got so much shit you need to bring, right? Yeah. I mean, just for example, look at the size of this anchor. Well, you can't see the anchor because the anchor is in the water. Yeah. But in this compartment, it's a bunch of chain. I have 150 meters of chain. Right. It's like weighs so much, and and uh, it's just a, it's a tank. Right now, you can get it it like living on a boat. What's it like living on a boat? Like, is it is it like a dream or? It's a yeah, it's beautiful. It's like what's the best part? My bed is always there, and people, everybody, especially in the Mediterranean. Well, everywhere you're going to sail is a sailing community, right? Mm -hmm. You would not believe how many people here dream of doing this, Mm -hmm. and but they don't do it. So I'm like almost rare. There's uh, in the world, I think there's only maybe 10,000 cruisers. Mm-hmm. I don't mean people who sail on the weekend. And that's nice too. It's all good. But to actually. What's a cruiser if you can define it? Is that somebody that's like pretty full-time. much always living on their boat? Yeah, you're full time. You're living on your boat full time. Yeah. That's your home and you're working your way around the world. Are you single now or do you have like, you know, like a woman in yeah, your life, women single. in your life or. Yeah. What's that I, like? I, I mean, you just kind of like go into port and you just, you know, go for a drink and you see who's there and you chat them up and take it from there. Well, that happens. And I've, I had a girlfriend on here for a while, for about a year and a half. And that, she, that was the English to, one, the yogi. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Yeah. And she was awesome. And, uh, uh, but she wanted to run her business from land. Mm-hmm. So I see her, uh, sometimes and, and we're still friends. Uh, we have a great relationship, but she's definitely not wanted. She doesn't want to sail around the rest of the world. She doesn't own a piece in your business. She's not going to steal no, your kids no, from no, you. No, it's no, it's no, comfortable. No, 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 yeah. Yeah. Nothing like that. And I've had other, you know, I meet girls and some of them stay for a week, some for a month. Um, and uh, there's, you meet people on, the, there are dating kind of websites where you talk about where you might go and, and people reach it's out like to Tinder me a lot. like Tinder for sailors? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. There's, <laughs> it's actually 
uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of. Um, but uh, they really want to sail, you know. So yeah. it's. So it's I mean, if you not, got a boat, then then you're in a good position to say, hey, you know, I'm going to do a passage from here to here. So yeah. let me ask you this question because I've I don't know if you're familiar with this channel. It's called Sailing Doodles. I haven't seen that one. So. So this guy, Bobby, was a pilot and he had a, I think he had a heart condition or a stroke or something like that. So he wasn't able to fly. So he's like, fuck it, I'm just going to buy a boat. And I've been watching his channel for the last couple of years. And all he does is he basically does these passages with women. And oh. he's got this rotation of different women that show up on the boat. He never indicates in the videos whether or not he's intimate with them. But I mean, oh, like, you, you get that. The, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, you get the gist that something's going on. But <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. this constant rotation. And I've reached out to him. And I said, hey, dude, you know, I've been watching your channel. You know, I do this podcast. I'd love to have you on to sort of talk about this life. But it, he won't confirm a conversation because I'm guessing he wants to keep it on the down low, right? Or maybe it's because yeah. of stuff that I talk about. But yeah. like, what is, what is sailing lifestyle like, you know? in that sort of environment? Like, are they basically just like dealing with different women from port to port and they're just having like a smash fest and they go through another rotation or like, <laughs> what's that like? Some guys can, yeah, that, yeah? that, that can definitely happen. Um, that's a nice boat you're on, man. You know, by that's a really nice interior. Yeah. I was going to show you the inside. I'll just yeah. answer that a little bit. So this is uh, my camera gear. I have a, a big old, uh, long range Tele-lens, lens. Yeah. Because yeah. everything's far away on the boat. Um, there, this thing is really cool. It's an entertainment center. Yeah. I'll pull this out of the way. It's my dog. It's Athena. And um, you push this up. This is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's got a, oh, it pops uh, up know. out of the center. It's yeah, TV. It's a, yeah, okay. It's a TV. And, and then it's, it's got a nice got sound. Yeah, yeah. kill a galley. And, you know, all the food you could ever want to keep. You can keep cases of beer in there. Like, under the floors, it's the water makers under here and I got how many stores. um how many staterooms uh, there's three so uh this is uh a set of bunk beds which I just keep it you know put your crap in there sometimes I have five or six people on board and, and that's fine and then we use it as a regular bunk room and uh this is bathroom this is a nice stand-up shower lots of hot water almost never run out mm-hmm. And then this is a double bed and mirrors everywhere. They're very clever the way they've designed everything. Is that a French book, by the way? Yeah, it is. It is okay. You can tell. Yeah. And then this is the master. And that's at the bow. Yep. All I right. love my bed. The best part about being on here is this bed is always there waiting for you. I go out and party or I'm sleeping or I surf or... You just take everything you have with you everywhere you go and you see the whole world. And your and your um like your boat's basically your house and your dinghy's essentially yep. your car, right? Yep, that's right. And um, you can stay in okay, in the bathroom. Um you can stay in marinas, which I just did for the last week, in fact, because I had to do some work on the boat. Um and it costs in the, this is a really expensive place. This is probably one of the more expensive marinas in all of the. What does it cost a night? Europe I, th- during the winter time they were charging me sixty euros a night. Mm-hmm. So a couple thousand a month. But that's Do you have to really pay expensive. anything to anchor? No. You don't. Know, so I mean, if you no. have an anchorage, you just drop anchor. Yeah, you're good. But storms come, man. You better find a good anchorage now. Yeah. But most of the time, it's not an issue. And, uh, and the other thing is like this lifestyle, 
there's always like where I'm going to go next week, I'll be down in the Canaries and I'll drop anchor. And because I have this, this setup where it's easy for people to hang out and be mm-hmm. outside and be part of the, do you have like the, curtains where you can seal it to keep the weather out? Oh yeah. 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 And, and uh, so people come over to my boat. It's a very social place. Like, you know, you, you might think, Oh, yeah, I get that vibe. It's, it's like, you might think it's isolated, but it's not isolated at all. It's, it's very a uh, community, community oriented. People mm-hmm. will row up and they'll tie off their boat, other dinghies and, and we'll have a party and I cook all the time and mm-hmm. I make dinners and, and we have, the, the sound system on this thing is off the charts. It's I wish I had like another half hour to an hour to talk to you about this, but I but but I've got to wrap up because I got to get ready for this new next call. I want to ask you this: maintenance on a boat. Because one of the things that really strikes me about the cruising lifestyle is okay. whenever I'm watching videos on YouTube, always shit always shit. seems to be breaking. <laughs> it's like every frick. It's like the motors broke. Like I noticed in one of your videos, you had to pull out the motor and get it rebuilt. That cost twenty Unsane. grand. Put it back yep. in. Like you basically have water makers, you have refrigeration, you're making electricity, you have to store electricity, you have to, you have sewage. It's a house on the water. Yeah. How much, like within okay. the course of a month, how much time do you spend every month maintaining the boat? Cause I'm really curious about that. Cause probably about three or four days, three or four and, days straight. Yeah. Uh, uh, just over, not straight, but, but, but does that I, include raising sails, lowering sails, you know, putting oh, no, sails no, away? no, 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 no. This is just fixing stuff that has to be fixed. Like, so you've got three or four days in a month that you're fixing shit. Constantly. Yeah. 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 You're always fixing something. Some, shit breaks all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. So that's about 13% of your month. You're yeah. spending. Oh fixing yeah. Shit. Yeah. You got to know how to fix stuff. And this keeps a lot of boats. So I mean, like you got to be a, bl- a plumber, an electrician, electrician that's general right. handyman. Or like, you pay people. Oh, there's yeah. plenty of guys will do it for a fee. It's not hard to find people to work on a boat if you're in these marinas. Right. But but it's going to cost you. Man, if you got a lot of money, I mean, hey, these big super yachts, guys just pay people to do it. Yeah, but I mean, a 50-footer, I mean, I mean is, is, is basically a one-man job if you're on it three to four days a week. Let me ask you one more question. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with solar-powered yachts, like uh, companies oh, like yeah. Solar Yachts and Aquion yeah. and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. What yeah. do you think of those? Like, does that solve Great much idea. of the problem of maintenance plus, you know, raising, lowering sails and waiting for weather? No, no. In fact, because I mean, the only downside is this. It's hard to store enough energy to to motor a long way. Yeah, that's what I understand, because as I'm doing the research, like it seems like if you want to cruise constantly, you're doing it at like less than five knots, maybe three it's or four enough. knots, which is, which is kind of pointless, scary. right? It's scary. It is pointless. And it's scary because if you get close to the shore, there's been a handful of times when I am so glad I have an engine. I was down in Morocco, man, and I was swinging into rocks. And I, mean, I was going to hit the rocks. And God damn it. You better have a great engine. Right. Right now. Now, if you, what if your batteries are low? Right. Like, no. Well, so, those boats have a generator on them. Like the, you like have the a generator. You can okay. turn on you, you and can, then you can yeah. recharge the batteries if the sun's not giving you enough juice. If it's a cloudy I love electric. day. Yeah. I love electric. It's that, you know, nobody wants to carry diesel. It stinks. It gets yeah. wet. You have to filter it. The water filters, all the problems with diesel. Mm-hmm. And they have, you know, we've had them forever and we still haven't solved all the problems with them. Mm-hmm. So electric, I would say double thumbs up. I would not poo poo it. I, I think they're probably still in the learning phases. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a purist, I'd say go for it. Um, How much of your um, maintenance days would be cut off with a solar-powered 
you know, like electric yacht, would it would it go from three or four days down to one to two or one day? No, or is it no, no. The engine isn't the issue. No, no, no. The engine's not the problem. You put the. I never think about my engine okay. except when I replace it. I never think about it. No, it's all the little shit. Water like, maker, refrigerator, yeah, washer dryer. you know, refrigerator, motor stuff. stuff. The 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 this this um, uh, stereo. I've replaced it three times. The speakers corrode out. Mm. The the wires get corroded. There's motors. These are motorized winches to pull. Those motors fail. The gearbox fails. The uh, hinges. The uh, the you know the under the water. The barnacles grow. You got to go and scrape you it. Scrub I the spent, bottom. You got to repaint it. I spent an hour under the water two days ago scraping the bottom. Did you do that so, with scuba gear? Or do you have to yeah, come yeah, air? yeah. I got no. I mean, you could, but. It, and it you takes would, an hour to scrub the bottom. Do you do it by hand, or do you have that like uh, I, by hand device yeah. that spins around and no, scrubs no, no, it no, off no. for you? I was well. Actually, I detailed the prop. Is what I did. Okay. Because I've been sitting for a while, so little barnacles so and you barnacles lose about a knot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I scrub it, and I take a I take a bright pad, Scotch Bright, you know, just get it detailed and stuff like that. So okay, so so here's a big place. question: that is it all worth yeah. it? Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> <I didn't> even, <laughs> <laughs> And that's one of my things. Mark Manson. Have you read Mark Manson stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he has it in a chapter in there about fuck yeah. Okay. If it ain't fuck yeah, I ain't doing it. Yeah. And so that's 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 yeah. my dating profile now, by the way, too. And so does crazy shit and did answer your question about this crazy shit happen more with women on boats than anywhere else? I don't think any more than anywhere else. Because mm-hmm. it's it's uh you know, it people one one side of it is People are a little bit freaked out. I mean, you really have to have a good, honest, trusting relationship. But the girl's got to really, really, really trust you to come onto a boat because she's got nowhere to run. So you can't come onto them in a weird way, you know, because then you don't want them to get so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I mean, like, you really got to vet them, too, because if you're going to do like a 10 day passage, you don't want to be stuck in a boat with a whack job. Exactly. Exactly. And I interview the shit out of people. And that's something I've learned over the last few years. I don't think anything's gotten me better at learning about people than been doing this um Dude, because of, of being stoked. yeah but it is bitching you are gonna love it and and i would absolutely positively suggest you do it so um so, oh and i don't know if i can give myself a plug yeah i was just gonna say you know before we sign off um follow Dwayne's instagram yeah. it's grateful underscore travel um he also has a youtube channel was which is linked in his link, link tree and, and yeah. some interviews well not interviews but like some podcast recordings that he's done for himself is there anything else that you want to shout out to before yeah uh, before okay we wrap up? so i do i i would love to have people on in the summer um and well actually all during the year and uh you can uh i can i can take you or a group up to five people and uh, I'm going to do in the Canaries this summer. I'm going back to Greece. So if a bunch of guys or a couple of couples want to come on, give me a shout. I can give you the tour of a lifetime for a week. How much does that cost for a week, roughly? A couple grand a week. I'm going to take you up on that, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bargain. Relative. You go buy a boat and do it, <laughs> you realize. But I just love doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Just, I, This is not a retirement program for me. I mean, I'm retired, but... Uh, you will not make money doing this on a boat, but I just love having people on the right people. I bet them out. So, and the best way for them to find you is uh, just to DM you through Instagram. Yeah. Okay guys. 
There you go. Dwayne, I really want to thank you for uh, carving out some time and sharing your own personal story and, you know, getting vulnerable on some of that shit because that was some weird shit, by the way. Yeah, um, thanks. And I mean, like the light's fading, so it's not going to work for very long for us here anyway. But uh, great, great story. <laughs> you know, loved hearing about the sailing lifestyle. I will definitely stay in touch. If anybody wants to connect with you, um, find okay. him on Instagram. And uh, hey, if you want to sail the Mediterranean, um, he seems like a good guy. I'll, you know, I'm certainly going to be open to it if I can travel soon. Okay. Thanks, brother. Thanks a lot.